0: are you ready to talk about the motion picture shows
1: i don't know i'd probably have to say yeah
0: on that one question mark three hours for a movie
1: welcome to football day i needed this
0: thing to end quick fast and in a hurry is it though is it a good movie yes i think so Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy.
1: Don't be crazy, Zach. Shut up about the sun. Shut up about the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Gabe Susan Lewis. Love that man. (laughs) Qualifications, none. (laughs) (laughs) Sticky quips. Yeah, sticky Uh, quips. Oh, love it. Gabe is um, that guy, Zach, whatever his name is. He's hilarious. I forgot how funny he is. He's really great in Silicon Valley, too. Oh, he's amazing in that show. <laughs> Which one? Which one?
0: <laughs> I like it when the car is autopiloting and it takes him to like, a container ship yeah. and it's like rerouting. <laughs> and he's like, excuse me?
1: <laughs> he's um, unfortunately kind of typecast, though, because like that's pretty much the only character he can play is the odd whatever. And uh, yeah, yeah. tall skinny guy. Gabe, you know if you put a little makeup on your Adams Apple, you won't look so much like a transvestite. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez, Love it. But yeah, anyways, man, I'm I'm doing well. Um, how are you? This uh the F one race this weekend, what'd you think?
0: It was good. Uh the race was not at the front. It was uh, all in the midfield as yeah. per the huge But uh the, the race for for
1: 10th was was hot. It really was. Alex Albon is looking good, man. He's been climbing. That, he's doing a lot with a Williams car. He he is. And Williams hasn't been a factor in a
0: race in God knows how long. And so it is kind of exciting to see, you know, a, a top 10 presence. I think he ended up ninth.
1: Yeah, I, he got points, which was, which was huge. And Bodas, like he raced really well. He started really well on the grid. So there's a lot of promise behind that um yeah we'll see both both aston martins were were neck and neck too and they were fighting with uh it wasn't mclaren but they were fighting with uh haas was it haas mick mick had points he was up until like yeah. seventh and then he crashed so. it was
0: all dicey but um you know i I texted you before the race like man these guys are gonna fucking wreck on the first <laughs> lap and then i told i told alex i was like man i hope all these teams <laughs> just sat down for a five seconds and just said don't fucking kill each other in the first lap <laughs> and then like the announcer was like i wonder if the team's had a conversation about just like just laying low and playing it cool and i was like you goddamn right they did because there's no way they weren't gonna wreck and so i'm glad that that was the case but yeah
1: but poor, uh, it was kind, of, lando. kind of
0: was, yeah that sucks for lando but uh, it was a
1: bit of a snooze fest at the at the front, to it be really honest with you. But yeah, it got close for a second. Once the safety car came out, it got close, and you're like, "All right," but Red Bull is just too good. Verstappen's incredible. The guy is yeah. just, oh, he's incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. That guy's, uh, he's a beast. He's won every race. he's finished. Exactly.
1: But enough about enough about that. That's no one wants to hear us rant on about Formula no, One. No, we got scolded. We're not allowed to talk about anything other than the title <laughs> movie. <laughs> Which is a Formula One movie starring Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Actually, I think they're cart in that movie. is it? Oh, shit. Yeah, (laughs)
0: that's OK. The cart is not a thing anymore. But uh, what can you do? So this week we're going to do Inception from 2010, directed by, written and directed by, for that matter, Christopher Nolan, who you might know from The Dark Knight, Dunkirk Interstellar, which we've done on this show, and Memento, uh, as well as many others. Uh Oppenheimer, I think is, is his next one that's coming out.
1: Right. That, that's a stacked cast too.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. Uh but this cast is also Crazy Town Banana Pants, and it includes Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon Levitt, Ellie- <laughs> Joseph Gordon, uh JGL, right? <laughs> uh Elliot Page, Tom Hardy, Ken Watanabe, D Rao, I guess, Killian Murphy. Tom Berenger of all people haven't seen that guy in forever. Marion <laughs> Cotillard and Pete
1: Postlewait, yeah. yeah,
0: and Michael Kane
1: He's the dude from the town when yeah, he's like,
0: Pistol Pete's not alive anymore. He passed away. Yeah,
1: mother was shooting up dope there, Sonny, or whatever yeah. he says. He's crazy in that movie. But Tom Berenger man, he's too busy catching for uh for for Rick Rick Vaughn for those Indians. I guess they're not Indians now. They're the Guardians. <laughs> yeah, they've changed
0: things up a bit. I like Tom Behringer. Me too. Wasn't he in the substitute? He was the substitute. Yeah. Man. And then. Like what? What do what, what, what we got a sub? <laughs> who? <laughs> who? Sitting in seats sit that aren't ours.
1: <laughs> it's movie day. What was the <laughs> What was the second guy that played uh, the substitute instead of Tom Berenger? There was like a substitute two and three and it was like, it wasn't Kit Pardue. It was like. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that guy from the Lawnmower Man. I don't know. No, you'd recognize him. Skeet rich I don't know. I his name.
0: don't know. Isn't there <laughs> like is. a bow and arrow in that movie? Where he's <laughs> like, know. where like the the guy, the gang members, like walking down the street, and he, and like, there's like a noise, and he's like. Stupid coyote, <laughs> then he gets shot with like a like an arrow. And he's like stupid Indian. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a different movie. I don't, I I saw that movie a long time ago, and I might be misremembering it, but I feel like someone gets shot with an arrow and flames Indians. Of Sounds all right. People. Yeah. And it was
1: Treat Williams who 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 t- played the substitute, the titular character in the follow-up movies. There substitute two, school's out.
0: Oh, shit. What <laughs> do we need to substitute for? I know.
1: Summer school, baby. <laughs>
0: school's out for a summer. Yeah, I was good there. Go. there. Yeah. Um But yeah, critical reception is pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. 87% on the old tomato meter there and a 91, a whopping 91% from the audience score, which isn't half bad. I found one negative review. This person's bitter. Can't make... Film as good as the old Nolan there. Uh, but it says, this is from A.S. Hamra. And they say Inception succeeds in convincing us for two and a half hours that somehow our dreams and lives are exactly like all the bad action movies we have seen. The film has none of the vivid, unpredictable banality of dreams or life. Wow. Yeah. You're just not a fan. Not a fan of the Inception. Uh, let's see. Angie Anderson from Bitch Media. Don't be a bitch. The office In- bitch.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, the office. yeah, exactly. She got a couple different bitches. I forget what they all are. The though. business bitch, the office oh, yeah.
1: bitch, and then something else. Yeah.
0: Inception is an intriguing, frustrating film, but ultimately satisfying. Frustrating is a good way to put it. Oh, let's see. Stephen Whitty from Newark Star-Ledger says, it's just grade A filmmaking, period. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for the insight. <laughs> it's a good movie. You should go I see it. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Well, here's one more. Taylor Hatmaker from Auto Straddle says- That's his real
1: name? Taylor I, Hatmaker? I, I doubt it. <laughs> but we'll go with it. <laughs> Justin Toymaker. <laughs> it's like uh that reminds me of uh curvy
0: enthusiasm when when they're doing the uh, hurricane katrina ruined a lot of homes and so they accept a family and it's the blacks but they're actually black people he's like your name's really black they're like yeah like that's interesting that'd be like if my name was larry jew (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, Inception engaged on a mainly intellectually level, but that isn't to say that the film didn't pack an emotional impact. So there you go. Which I guess we'll have to talk about that because I have no connection to this movie on an emotional level whatsoever. Like nothing about it makes me happy or sad or or anything like that. It's just, I watch it, I get a little excited, but at the end of the day, the relationship between the father and the kids, the relationship between Cobb and Maul, um, the relationship between uh, Fisher and his dad, nothing about this movie makes me happy or sad, which I find interesting. There's not too many movies that are like that. It just kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can mean, I, I enjoy watching it, but at the end of the day, you know there's no like heartwarming moment for me or anything like that um it's just kind of one of them things and i find that interesting the budget was 160 million dollars united states it grossed 292 million opening weekend which was apparently july 18th of 2010 was 62.7 million worldwide a whopping 836 million dollars holy smokes and this is post dark night mind you so Nolan has definitely been around better part of a decade and he has been making lots of motion picture shows each one arguably better than the next and so this is one of those ones where it's like what's he going to do this time? And uh audience has got inception.
1: And there you have it. Nice. Well, the Japanese version, it has uh, it in order to kind of like give the viewers a sense of what's happening with the dream sequences in the upper left corner of the screen, there's apparently a uh, a dream level counter basically that shows you what level they're in. Kind of wish we had that version. I think that's pretty neat, right? That is interesting. Yeah, and that keeps uh, keeps track of it a little bit better because um, they do a, a masterful job of editing this film. But you, oh. the way that they jump around is pretty interesting.
0: That's great. Can I ask you a question then? Yeah. Uh, for the Inception dream sequence, do they start at level one or do they start at level three and work their way up So do they start at level three and go to two, then to one and then exit? Or is it
1: one, two, three exit? That's a good question. It doesn't say it here on uh, in the trivia I didn't I didn't see, but I picture it as 321. Okay. I I pictured as 123 cuz you're at level 1 and then level 2 and then level 3. But if you're going down, that would make more sense cuz like the elevator he's going down. And so you're right, it would probably go 321. So
0: Yeah, cuz I'm I'm only cuz like the idea that they're so far deep that they would be lost in their subconscious forever, yes. Yeah, that makes me think 3 is a lower number. So then so, for the
1: sake of the discussion, let's do that. Let's call it three, two, one. And then basement is limbo, basically. So or zero or whatever we want to call it. OK, that makes sense. So three
0: being the deepest of the dream sequence.
1: No, no, no. Three, three being the uh, the initial one like you were you were just saying, right? You were you're saying uh, the first one when it's raining. That's level three. The second one when it's uh, the hotel, that's two. And the snow is level one, correct? Because yeah, you, but you're but going that deep would... down.
0: But I'm I'm referring going closer. I I thought we start at the bottom and work our way up. Mm. That's what I'm saying. So I'm saying that three being the lowest level that they are. And that's why it's so dangerous to be injured. Like that's why they were worried about um, Sato because he was they were so far down. And then each kick, they'd be coming up a level.
1: That's how I looked at it. Okay, I think I'm more confused now. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So, I, ca- I, I, so get what, I get what you're saying, sort of.
0: So, okay. So, in other words, instead of going up a building, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a, like, picture like a parking garage. There's a parking garage that can go up, four, up, up three levels and three is the roof, mm-hmm. right? But you're going upwards. And then uh, a basement garage where you just keep going down a lower... And like your cell phone reception is worse and worse as you go further and further down mm-hmm. in the parking lot. So, I would picture the rain level... When they first get there is being the deep down the, the level three ground level of the the basement um, parking garage. Mm-hmm. And then with each kick, they're coming up a level closer to reality. So it would go three, two, and then two, your cell phone reception's a little bit better. One, you can still stream your music and make phone calls and then out of the parking lot.
1: Does that make sense sort of but even though they start at uh, the rain level then they go to the hotel then they go to the snow level so you're saying three is the rain two is the hotel one is the uh, is the snow and then reality yeah, exactly. is well exit? technically
0: technically one is the um one is the the bridge when they're so then it would be back on that level because uh this is so crazy right because they're in the car (laughs) and they and they're in the water and then that's the part where they wake up again
1: yeah and that's that's so the way i'm looking at it is they're on the plane okay the plane is reality and then they each level they go down because to incept they're saying you you can't go down three levels and so i'm thinking of it as um you know one level down is the rain sequence and then they fall asleep in that rain sequence, and that's two levels down now in the hotel. And then in the hotel, they go into Robert's subconscious, and that's three levels down now in the snow. And then from the snow, they go down even further to Limbo, which is four levels down, because it's like no one can do four levels down, right? Um, so that's Can't how- Can't triple stamp a double stamp. Yeah, that's how I look at it. Uh, and so I was saying for the sake of this, we could we could treat it as level level, let's say level four is reality. Uh, on the plane level three is the rain level two is the hotel and level one is the snow. And then basement is the limbo or zero is the limbo. And the only reason I'm saying that is because that's like an elevator going down. And remember when Ariadne goes into Cobb's mind and he sees mall and she keeps, sh- or he keeps showing her the different prisons that he built for her. Basically. Mm-hmm. I just thought of it as an elevator going down.
0: Sure. I mean, and that's fine, but my only concern is, and maybe it's a flaw is that if, if, Uh, if Saito were to die in that first level, though, that's so deep in the subconscious that they can't get him out. Right. And so that's why I feel like they're
1: already on the the lowest possible level when they first get there, and they're trying Hmm. to get their way back out. Oh, because I always looked at it the other way around. The only reason I thought that he would die is because the sedative was so strong. Because um, I thought that's that's what Yusef said. He said the it, sedative it was so strong that they can't he, wake up. Yeah, and and they their only way to get out is to go keep going forward because on each level time is slowed down. So uh, like you know ten minutes on level one is actually thirty minutes or an hour on level two, and then it's it's a it's a day on level three or whatever. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's the way I was. And sure. so while that, he shot, that works. That's yeah, that well, logic is sound. Like while he shot on one, he's like, God, I'm gonna die in ten minutes. But on level two, he's like oh, I'm wounded and it's probably going to hurt for the next three hours. And then on level three, he's like, "Okay, I got about a day and then I'm probably going to die. So but anyways, that's how I looked at it. But we will get into that because that's that's a
0: good way to look at it.
1: Yeah, because I I like where your head's at with it, too. Um, So apparently Chris Nolan wanted to create this. uh, He was thought about this movie during Insomnia back in 2002. (laughs) I know yeah um but he didn't write anything about this uh instead he kind of just determined that instead of writing it as an assignment it'd be more suitable as to well to his working style if he wrote it as a speculation script and then eventually he presented it to the studio when it was completed so he went off to write it thinking it would take a couple months but it ultimately took nearly eight years because insomnia came out in 2002 so that's pretty cool and it's a good think piece uh from from nolan but and then all the main characters, Dom, Robert, Eames, Arthur, Maul, Saito. If you take all their first names, it spells dreams. And if you add uh, Peter, Ariadne, and Yousef, it says pay. So it's like dreams pay because they're all mine thieves and they steal dreams for money. So that was obviously on purpose by by Nolan. I thought that was cute. And then <clears throat> this is the third most pirated film of 2010. There were nine point seventy two 9.72 million downloads on BitTorrent. Do you know what the first two highest-grossing pirated films are, Justin? Of 2010. Uh, of 2000. Did, did they come out in 2010? One, it... one came out in 2009, and the other was in 2010.
0: Um, I uh, don't. Uh, Iron Man Two could that be one of them? No, Avatar and Kick Ass. Avatar and Kick Ass.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I. Iron Man Two Kick-Ass, was in 2010. But, uh, no, Iron Man. Iron Man was uh, two thousand eight. Iron Man two. I, I said
0: Iron Man two. Iron oh. Man two was two thousand and
1: ten. Oh yeah, that's but, why uh, I
0: asked if it came out in two thousand ten. Yeah, oh, that's weird. Yeah,
1: I know, right? So. Yeah. Well, here is a. I'll attempt a synopsis for this movie, but you kind of have to just watch it. So skip ahead three minutes if you, you don't want to listen to it, but Cobb and Arthur are extractors. They perform corporate espionage using experimental dream sharing technology to inf- infiltrate their target subconscious and extract information. Their latest targo, S- target Saito is impressed with Cobb's ability to layer multiple dreams within each other and offers to hire Cobb for the supposedly impossible job of implanting an idea into a person's subconscious performing inception on Robert, the son of Saito's competitor, Maurice Fisher, with the idea to dissolve his father's company. Saito promises to clear Cobb's criminal status, allowing him to return home to his children. Cobb accepts the offer and assembles a team: a forger named Eames, a chemist named Yousef, a college st- student named Ariadne. Ariadne is ta- that's it. Oh. and Arthur forgot about that. Ariadne is tasked with designing the dream's architecture, something Cobb himself cannot do for fear of being sabotaged by a projection of his late wife, Maul. Maurice dies, and the team sedates Robert into a three-layer shared dream on a plane to America. Time on each layer runs slower than the layer above, which means, or with one member staying behind on each to perform a music-synchronized kick to awaken dreamers on all three levels simultaneously. The team abducts Robert in a city on the first level, but is attacked by his subconscious projections. After Saito is wounded, Cobb reveals that while dying in the dream would normally awaken dreamers, Yusef's sedatives will instead send them into Limbo, a world of infinite subconscious. Eames impersonates Robert's godfather, Peter Browning, to suggest that Robert reconsider his father's will. Cobb tells Ariadne that he and Maul entered limbo while experimenting with dream sharing, experiencing 50 years in a single night due to the time dilation with reality. Maul refused to return to reality, and Cobb instead performed Inception on her to convince her. After waking up, Maul still believed she was dreaming. Attempting to wake up, she committed suicide and framed Cobb to force him to do the same. Cobb fled the U.S., leaving his children behind. Yusef drives the team around the first level as they are sedated into the second level, a hotel dream by Arthur. Cobb persu- persuades Robert that he has been kidnapped by Browning and that Cobb is his subconscious protector, leading Robert yet another level deeper as part of a ruse to enter Robert's subconscious. In the third level, the team infiltrates an alpine forest with a projection of Maurice inside where the Inception itself can be performed. However, Yusef performs his kick too soon by driving off a bridge, forcing Arthur and Eames to improvise a new set of kicks, synchronized with them hitting the water by rigging an elevator and the fortress, respectively, with explosives. Maul then appears and kills Robert before he can be subjected to the Inception, and he and Saito are lost into limbo, forcing Cobb and Ariadne to rescue them in time for Robert's Inception and Eames's kick. Cobb makes peace with Maul's death. Ariadne kills Maul's projection and wakes Robert up with a kick. Revived into the third level, he discovers the planted idea, a projection of his dying father telling him to be his own man. While Cobb searches for Saito in limbo, the others ride the kicks back to reality. Cobb finds an aged Saito and reminds him of their agreement. The dreamers all awaken on the plane and Saito makes a phone call. Arriving at LA, Cobb passes the immigration checkpoint and Miles accompanies him to his home. Cobb uses Maul's totem, a top that spins indefinitely in a dream, to test if he is indeed in the real world, but chooses not to observe the result and instead joins his children. I will give, you know, Wikipedia, the, whoever wrote this on Wikipedia, a round of applause because it is a very hard plot to just right. tell.
0: <laughs> and maybe, maybe if, if we would have read this synopsis before we were arguing about the levels, yeah, then I the wouldn't levels. have said anything.
1: <laughs> no, it's all, it's all good because even then, I get what you're trying to say and it makes sense. But then I started overthinking it and I'm like, wait a minute now. Yeah. So, okay. Anyways, so Justin, let's just jump right into it. When did you first see Inception and what were your thoughts?
0: Uh, I saw it when it came out on when I was available to purchase uh, digitally because uh, I was in the middle of moving when it came out. I was moving to Seattle and I just didn't have time to go check it out in the theater. So I actually saw it at home.
1: For Fascinating. The first time. Yeah. Did you have a, a pretty good setup at home with your TV and your sound system and stuff? Oh, yeah. 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 OK. Do you think that maybe what, what did you what did you think when you first saw it?
0: I mean, I enjoyed it. I it was cool. I mean, I have. The- I had thoughts, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've seen the movie probably like five times now and I still, I guess, technically on some level
1: don't understand it. So <laughs> Yeah, at least you understand it more than Interstellar. So <laughs> we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw it in theaters and I absolutely loved it because I think it's one of those movies that just really benefits from the theater experience. Um, but I still, you know, watching it the other day with my sound system and my TV, it still held up really well. And uh, I should remind everybody, this is on Netflix right now. Um, I was trying to watch it on my voodoo, but it wasn't syncing up. It was, I was having issues with my connectivity. So I watched it on Netflix and it's, it was just fine. So, um, it is a long movie though. It's about two hours and 28 minutes. So it's not a, uh, it's not a Cavender cut by any stretch, mm-hmm. but it's, Mm-mm. it's not a three hour movie. But anyways, so we have discussed that. Um, You know, we've both seen this film several times, like I just said. I remember when I first saw it in theaters um, and multiple repeat viewings after that. I mean, it was a big movie in college for me and really, really loved it. Actually, I guess it was after college. What am I even saying? Yeah, it was after college. But anyways, loved the hell out of it. And I felt it was necessary to to repeat watch because I needed to fully comprehend the story. So on the surface level, I understood it for sure. But on a deeper level, this film got better with multiple viewings. What did you think about that? Did you need to watch it multiple times or were you like J.C.'s got this?
0: No, no, no. I've, I've always needed to watch it multiple times. I mean, this synopsis helped out quite a bit, actually. But uh, as I was watching, I was never really confused, per se. Like, I mean, I was able to like you, like kind of follow along, uh, you know, getting lost in the details of the of the dream levels, obviously, is one thing. But at the end of the day, it's getting this nice young man, Fisher, to go his own way, like. The Fleetwood Mac. And so. Uh, <laughs>
1: and the gypsy. <laughs> yeah. And,
0: and, you know, I remember after watching it and the end, the very end, uh, I have since have clarification on the final shot of the movie. But at the time, I really, really, really wanted that top to slow down and fall <laughs> over. <laughs> and I'm a sucker for a happy ending. And so I remember just talking to my buddies and just being like, yeah, it kind of slows down, right? It looks like it slows down it slows down right yeah okay okay (laughs) and so that was kind of the main my main takeaway like this better be a fucking happy ending and so there's that but uh i definitely enjoyed it there was a lot happening i kind of have i have kind of this weird thing about it to where so many characters are tethered in this film you know like when they're getting the Joseph gordon Lev just whips out these ropes out of his pockets and just plugs people into the matrix. It's so weird how everyone's just connected to this briefcase and, and they connect uh, for the dream sequences and they're, they have the, they're tethered to a rope basically. And uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? How yeah, they inject the yeah. needle in their system and stuff. Okay. So there's that. And then uh, even when the sequence, when Joseph gordon Lev is trying to wrap everybody up in cables, so they'll be ready for the kick so he can get them all at one time he's Mm -hmm. wrapping them up in in cords when all the snowmobile guys are traveling together they're all holding on to to cables to travel through the snow i'm like what's with all these ropes (laughs) 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 everyone is tethered to something and it was driving me crazy and i didn't even notice that until this last watch i was just like son of a bitch what's with all the ropes And I thought that was kind of funny. I was wondering if you if you picked up on that, if there's if there's some meaning to that. But I felt like so many scenes, characters are just connected to something. I thought that was odd.
1: I mean, a very, very vague or loose um, idea would probably be that dreams can connect. Like it's, it's hard for us to connect things. And I think um him beat by him using rope or rope being a uh indirect uh, motif in this it's like well you know all these things can be connected very easily or it's almost like a kind of ex machina sort of situation where you're like or deus ex machina I guess is what you'd call it right where it's like wait how the hell did that happen oh it's convenient that he has rope just right now like this guy just carries rope with him everywhere (laughs) so um, I just It's so strange. It is. I, I get what you're trying to say. I'm yeah. sure there is a meaning behind it, but that's again why I love this movie is because the the meta um, the meta conversations that have occurred from it, that have been derived from it, are very much like the Matrix or or the Star War, you know. Mm. And so many people have really uh, dove deep into it, and I feel like somebody out there is probably going to now be like, ooh. Yeah, what are, what's up with the ropes in Inception? Right. <laughs> I a dissertation on it, so. <laughs> it's, just, it's just strange. It's like, I need
0: some rope in here. <laughs> and, we got uh, a fire in here. I mean, even the elevator itself is on a cable, right? Yeah. When they're putting them in the cable. Yeah. Them in the elevator. And I'm just like, fuck, I don't get it. And so. It just made <laughs> he me, goes made down me a
1: rope to go to Saito's room. He like belays himself off and goes into Saito's room at the beginning. Remember when he ties the thing to Maul's chair? Yeah. Like, it's kind of. Jumps down a rope. It's a thing. The real money is at the rope store. (laughs) Yeah, I hid the money in the walls. (laughs) Oh, boy. So to kind of piggyback off that last question, though, I would like to pose a theory. Historically, most of Nolan's films can actually be pretty complex and confusing. And many times a repeat viewing is necessary in order to fully understand what is happening. What I'm proposing, Justin, is that what if this is actually Nolan's plan all along? Sure, you know, he probably wants to make a really good film. But what if he also purposely makes his films complex and convoluted because it warrants repeat viewing? I mean, I don't know. These are this is something I was just thinking of. So what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, so I mean, this. So some of his early work, so like Memento is kind of a complicated movie, right?
1: Yeah, with non-linear, the, just all Yeah,
0: short term memory loss and and. It it can benefit probably from multiple viewings. It kind of has like a who done it vibe to it too, where it's ruined after you watch it one time. But I could see how repeat viewings would have a payoff. But I I kind of went on a, a rant a couple months ago about if you don't understand it on your first watch, then perhaps you failed at telling the story. Like I mean, it's good to have questions and be you know and 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 spark conversation but i shouldn't have to watch your movie 10 goddamn times to understand it (laughs) not that i'm like a i'm I'm a genius or i'm or on the flip side i'm an idiot i just i think it's fascinating that you're going to go through all that trouble to try and inconvenience the viewer into multiple viewings um that's just kind of my my take on it i don't think it i think he can overly complicate things like
1: tenant is just a hot mess in my mind (laughs) I liked it, but you're right. It's it's very much like hang on a second. I got to pause this. <laughs> What's <Right>. going on? <laughs> and 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 only and I only say that
0: because there's elements that you're just supposed to buy into, and other things that are explained. If I feel like if you just had to buy into it to buy into it, then I think that would be better than explaining some things but not everything. That's just my take on it. Like I, it's okay to have questions, but have them for fun, not to try and actually understand something on a deeper level. And I feel like that's kind of the cheat with Nolan, like Interstellar at first comes off as a really intellectual science fiction movie. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll buy into it. Like, I I get it. You know, the world's gone to hell. We've been talking about this ever since I was a kid, that the world was going to end, that we're ruining our planet. And sure enough, we did. And now we got to get out of here. And then I get lost in the whole bookcase thing. Yeah, just because like at it's first love it, justin it's, it's I know, love i know i'm i'm totally on board. i'm like yeah <laughs> the world's over and you know there wasn't a backup plan it was always the plan to just escape and that'd be all there is to it i was like fuck that's that's a hard message man but <laughs> yeah you know i applaud you for doing it and then it's like yes but i'm gonna go down this black hole and then i'm gonna be in a bookcase and i'm gonna be in this weird dimension where I can basically alter space and time, and blah blah blah, and put it. And in then the Matt watch. Damon. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I can't, I can't, and so I feel like it's purposely annoying, and and that kind of bothers me. So just and and I feel like this might be the movie that kind of s- started that. Uh, you know, there is a lot of 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 questions like these extractors. You know, who's this big company that? that funds these people? How do you get this job? Do you go to school for it? Is it allowed? Is it illegal? Why are you doing it if it's illegal? How does it all work? How does this architect, how do you design a dream sequence and then put it into some flash drive and then put it in somebody's body and then it's in their mind? Like all of it, I I can get that. I, I can understand the idea of building a maze. What I don't understand is how you get that maze into this person's brain. and. That's where I'm just like, all right, whatever. I'm, I'm on board for it. Whatever <laughs> you say, I'll 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 bite. Because uh, it, it this movie is fucking bar none visually compelling. Like it is cool as fuck to see these effects. Like I I am not gonna lie. When the whole city comes on top of itself, when they're building bridges, when they have fake staircases and crazy explosions, there's so much to look at, and it's beautiful. And maybe that's the misdirection—is that you kind of. You're so busy going ooh and ah that you forget about the what that doesn't work. <laughs> Where you get that rope from? And so, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like this was sort of the start of it. And then you know we had the Dark Knight Rises was was a 100 linear movie that it was just Batman. He so I was like he's done with it. Like yeah, I got to make this movie, but only because I have to. And then. Uh then that was over and done with them. We got Interstellar, right? And it's like, fuck yeah, this movie's crazy. And then we had Dunkirk, which kind of goes back to, you know, you what you think would be this this world war story. And then there's a fucking time element, right? And you're like, God damn it, is it today? Is it tomorrow? <laughs> is it last <laughs> week? When is this movie taking place? I don't mm-hmm. get it. And so there's that whole element. And then I'm I am just beside myself on how this Oppenheimer is gonna play out. I don't I don't know what to expect. I, I really think I'm gonna like it, though. I'm fascinated by this era, and uh, Nolan has his hooks in me. So whether I like the movie or not, doesn't really matter. I know I'm gonna see it, no matter what he makes. I'm gonna go check it out, and um, you know, I'm, I'm here for it. And and I'm I'm not afraid to watch a movie multiple times. I've seen Interstellar at least 20 goddamn <laughs> times. So even though I'm I'm not connecting with it on the right level, I I will. I will accept that the world thinks it's a masterpiece and I will continue to watch it. And maybe one day I'll be converted. But as of right now, that's not the case. And, and I, and again, I I enjoy the shit out of inception. I think it's really, really cool, but I do think that it's cheat or it's a bit of a cheat to, to explain some things, but not
1: everything. I think you need to go all in for, for both. For sure. And the way I kind of gather that is uh, you said it to like, Sometimes we need the the exposition, and then it's other times where we can just accept the world. It's like sweet, you know, you're building these bridges, you're doing whatever, and and the visuals just kind of mitigate that. So you're like, fine, I accept it. And I think that one theme Nolan really presents is this idea that reality is subjective. Um, and he kind of that's at least how I read the film for a little bit. Uh, that our reality is subjective. So very much kind of like the matrix that really opened people's minds and people thought sometimes our realities can be defined by what we actually truly believe is real and what is not, you know, red pill versus blue pill. So I know I'm eating this steak. I know what it tastes like, but I know it's fake. It's accepting that reality and Cypher being like, this is way better than the actual real world. But jumping back to Inception, um, no one can really tell us what we truly know and it's up for us to decide. So I thought that that was really interesting. And that was apparent on this viewing that I think the theme of the movie is Nolan is presenting it, presenting the idea that reality is incredibly subjective and it's up for you to decide. But what are your thoughts on this? I mean, that's
0: fine and dandy until you got to pay your bills and (laughs) your rent and all that stuff. But I mean, that that goes back to like, you know, my fear of, of of no one believing me, right? Like what must it be like to, to be a, a patient in a hospital or you are convinced that something is a specific way, and the outside world is telling you no, you're wrong. I mean, you would go even more crazy with that very idea, right? Like you'd be like, "No, this is this is what I know. Like the pen is blue. The, the goddamn <laughs> pen is blue, right?" And uh, I think you could just it could hurt yourself. I mean, if, if 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 you believe one thing and the whole rest of the world is telling you otherwise. That's got to be tough, man. And I, and I know that some people experience that uh, in in their everyday life with just their belief system, whether it be, uh, you know, their religion or or their 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 moral compass or whatever the case may be. You know, you're gonna have your your ideas and and what you think is right. And when someone tells you that, nah, sorry, man, you're wrong. That's a very hard uh
1: to it's a very tough pill to swallow, blue or red. Yeah. Well, and for me, I think that let's say Cobb is is dreaming. I mean, we talked about the ending being ambiguous and we'll touch base or we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the ending later. But um, let's say, you know, he's still dreaming and people are like, well, what what reality is he into? And, and I think that throughout the film, there are a lot of hints that point at just accept whatever reality works for you. He lived with Maul for 50 years. He got to spend his time with his wife for 50 years or what he perceived as 50 years and coming out of it into the quote unquote real world. It was just a night, right? And so that's really hard to to have your brain wrap around that idea of living in an eternity and then coming back and being like, no, nothing's happened. It was only one day. So I can only imagine how crazy that would make you, how just whatever that would make you. And so while his wife died and that was really tragic in the real world, he did get to spend his entire life with her um, in a certain sense. And I think towards the end of the film... It really doesn't matter if if uh, if Cobb is is dreaming or not. It's his reality, and it's what he's accepted. Um, mm-hmm. That's at least what I think. So, um, I, it was just something apparent that I that I saw in this movie, or at least I, I believe in this movie. Right. And the one thing I thought was interesting is that he fails a lot. Like as I'm watching, I'm like,
0: he, he does bad at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's always like, don't
1: do this, don't do this, and then he always constantly does the other, yeah, like what Arthur says. Like,
0: Dude, he suck. He's, Have you tried sucking less cop Because right now you're really pissing me off. <laughs> I know, and a,
1: a, a glass breaking is is a distraction. It's just like, yeah. come on, man, you need to you need to tell everybody about it. Like Ariadne said, it's just too much for him to bear. Um, mm-hmm. I get I get why he wants to get home. Like you know, family's his his biggest thing. But he was really putting everybody else at risk. And you're you're right, he was failing quite a bit. Yeah, it was so frustrating.
0: Very frustrating.
1: Even as a viewer, I was just like, man,
0: Cobb, you suck
1: can't get a W, can you? (laughs) It's coming up L's. Well, this cast, it's absolutely stacked with great acting talents uh, from a vast range of film genres. Each character presents a unique take on the inception process. How did you feel about the performances? Was anyone not selling you on this fictional world? No, I thought everyone did a good job, but
0: uh, one of the problems with having a cast like this is something we talked about with, Uh, Wes Anderson movies where he just gets like fucking all these A-listers in a movie. And it's hard to not see the person and see the character. And at times I was just like, Oh yeah, another Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie and, and another Leonardo DiCaprio movie, you know? So I think it always starts that way with me. And then somewhere in the middle, a switch gets flipped and then I'm just on board with the characters. But it is always kind of hard at first because I see, you know tom hardy and and leo and fucking michael kane just, just it's like staples in uh, nolan movies right michael kane mm-hmm. and tom hardy for sure and so and I, I guess to a certain point now uh marion since she's in two of them now <laughs> but um yeah definitely interesting i liked all the performances um everyone was uh was on point for me Um, and I particularly like, uh,
1: Ames. I thought he was fun. He was great. I really liked him a lot. Very much that James Bond-esque character. Um, you know, he's kind of sassy, kind of cool, uh, action sequence, especially in his level when they went down to the snow level, because that was Ames' dream sequence, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, He concocted that world. But made it, there was an obvious nod to, um, for Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, a lot and, of James Bond action. Yeah. And in Ames became like the best action star ever. Right. And that it worked. It did. And he was yeah. awesome. So really loved that. Um, I, I agree with you. Tom Hardy's just so great. Side note, I did watch, uh, Let There Be Carnage and it was terrible. I liked the first Venom better than Let There Be Carnage. That's, and that's saying something. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. The, um,
0: and i like how in tom like in the snow sequence they're like hey we need to improvise and he's just like all right no problem yeah <laughs> i got this yeah yeah <laughs> i know throwing like, bombs chucking grenades shooting yeah. everybody riding on skis riding on a snowmobile he's he's just got it all got it all covered it was great and you and you're totally like you you're bought in you're like okay this works
1: 100 yeah. percent, yeah love tom hardy and it just it worked really well for me i think yeah but agreed. There there was a fun thing that I read. Um, I read it in the trivia. I didn't read it on this trivia out loud, but um, I read it in the trivia and I also remember reading about it a couple of years ago. But according to Christopher Nolan, he actually used his characters in this movie in Inception uh to represent filmmaking in a team-based kind of creative process. Basically, Inception is a reflection of his artistic life. So Cobb is the director, Arthur is the producer. Ariadne is the production designer, Eames is the actor, Saito is the studio, and Fisher is the audience. Wow, right? And then he is quoted as saying, in trying to write a team-based creative process, I wrote the one I know, said Nolan. I thought this was very neat, Justin. Did you pick this up at all, that he had all these characters as like a film crew? And I couldn't think anything for Yusef, so I, I believe he was left out in the analysis, but what would he be?
0: So I did not pick up on that. I I, re- I recognize that they all had a job, but I didn't tie it into uh, film roles. But I would say Yusuf is like the production assistant man. He's the one that's going around rounding everybody up, getting them all in the places that they need to be, making sure that they're
1: hitting their marks, uh, all that stuff. So I would say that that's that's who he is. Or like a te- something technical, like uh, almost like the DP in, in a certain sense, because. You know he's in charge, or makeup, or effects. Like he's in charge of the technical stuff because he develops the serum, and but I do like the production designer too. That 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 makes sense. The
0: production assistant. Assistant is that we said, yeah. yeah, yeah. The guys with the headsets that walk yeah. around and make sure that the actors are out of their fucking trailers and <laughs> put all their green M and M's away, and they go over to where they need to be.
1: Well, and it's, you know, I went on a deep dive with YouTube and and whatnot, and there's so many articles in the past 12 years that have come out from this, but it makes a lot of sense. And there's no denying that Nolan is a cinephile, absolutely loves cinema. He's been outspoken about it, too. He got in some hot water about saying, well, you know, if my movie didn't go to streaming directly, then it would have been good sort of thing. He believes in 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 theaters. Oh and, yeah, with tenant right. Yeah, I mean it's kind of. It pretty, wasn't that in theaters. Yeah, for like two weeks, but it's pretty, pretty problematic when when you have a director kind of saying that kind of stuff. But um, I think that Nolan is 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 really. I think it's important that he's doing this, and it's kind of a, a self reflection about him because you were talking about how his, sometimes his plots can be really. Uh, confusing and f- just for the sake of being confusing. And so there are a lot of people that think that he's a little kind of conceited or sure. he's or, I think
0: like hubris comes to like mind, right? Yeah.
1: Like,
0: I'm just like, dude, calm down. Like everyone knows you're like a good <laughs> filmmaker and like I feel like I to, and I, I had a very long-winded answer back at the beginning there about, you know, the rewatchability of his movies and why the need to rewatch them, but I mean I think that at a certain point that that's true. Like I'm just like, really, you don't need to make this movie that complicated. Just, just cause it can't, the movie can go from a to B to C and still be amazing. It doesn't need to, doesn't need to have all these little tangents and, and extra explanations and sub levels and deeper meanings. It's cool to have that. But if you keep doing it every single time to like one up yourself, then I think you're just working too goddamn hard.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, some people do and with Tenet, especially some people think he's pretty pretentious with his films. And I could, I could totally see that. I mean, I'm not going to argue against it, but one thing that I see, and especially from this movie is I see himself in Cobb. I mean, you know, he always, Nolan is always wearing suits. He always has his hair slicked back like that. So the Leo character, other than a visual reference makes sense from, from what his actions are, um, Leo is passionate. He's driven. He is very precise, and he's doing everything he can to get back to his family. Very much like Harrison Ford, you know, give me back my family. Hmm. So he he wants to get Fuck back off. to. His, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Fuck off, Harrison Ford. <laughs> So Nolan is is uh, exemplifying that and he's kind of putting himself on blast and being like, fine, you guys think I'm pretentious, but I'm, I'm putting this out here and showing you how much I love cinema um, and, and creating this movie that's kind of based like that. Each layer they go to, it's like all of the the heads of a film, all the integral parts, uh, ancillary parts of a, a film. They go to the sets to, to view them before they script everything out um, and it really, really works. Uh, and so I, I think obviously that was done on purpose because he said so. And that had a lot of, of hidden meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and it's yeah. cool.
0: I'm, I'm I, He could make a better movie than I can. I'm, I'm not trying <laughs> yeah. to discredit him. I just think that he's working too hard to to be cool. Like we get it. You're cool. Relax. We're going to like the fucking movie. You don't you're have to... not Billy D
1: Williams cool though. <laughs> you know, what have we here? Yeah,
0: um uh, 100%. I just I just I'm like, dude, we we're, we're on board. We get it. We're here. We're in the
1: theater. Relax. It's you you've done plenty. I get that. Yeah, he it's almost like he kind of needs to be himself cuz we, we he's going to bring butts to the seats. It doesn't matter. He has that type of clout. But I I I totally get you and Tenet again is one of those movies that you're like Yeah, he's definitely trying way too hard on this one. (laughs) That was uh, it was frustrating, but I still really liked it. But I I think another reading of this film. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh,
0: Well, I was just going to say that, like, if you ever watch Pitch Meeting, like if let's just say that for like in my case, I'm unable to articulate what makes a Nolan film a Nolan film. But I think just spending five minutes and watching the pitch meeting on Tenet you'll you'll get it yeah, yeah. You'll you be like okay that's that's it that's that's why this movie is weird and absurd <laughs> and, and and it's it's just crazy crazy i don't know yeah i don't know yeah like just how you're just supposed to accept this shit you're yeah. like okay yeah we talk about it but not really and it's it's
1: fine that's the name of the movie <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> Oh, I love it's it so gonna much. It's going to be super easy. It's barely barely an yeah. I'm going to need you to get all the way off my back on that one. <laughs> okay, I'll get off that. <laughs> yeah, see, and I can picture
0: Warner Brothers saying that to, to Nolan. Like, mm-hmm. hey, why, why is it like this? I'm going to need you to get off my back on this one. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, and he's and he deserves it. You know, he gets carte blanche. He's, he's uh, you know, got a proven track record that he can, he can make a billion dollars in the movie theater. And so... They they let him make the movies that he wants to make, and so we, we we get his vision. So we're we're presented with his story from start to finish, and and you can respect that, and I think that's fantastic. But it might not always resonate with people. This movie was a ninety one percent with the audience, which is fantastic. And you know, skipping ahead, I'm going to give this movie an A. It's fucking fantastic, but when you take a moment to discuss stuff and you're on two different levels, you both saw the same fucking thing and you're on two very different levels of what was happening. You, you still get to the same finish line, but it's quite a journey to get there. And I, yeah. and that's a good thing, but it's also exhausting.
1: Zach. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. I, yes, this, at, at times this movie can make my head hurt, but not as much as other films. And it's, Interstellar is another one too where I really like it. I understand it, but my meaning is different than maybe your meaning. And so it's that one is also like ah, what? <laughs> why? Right, right. Why is this the way it is? Yeah. So. And
0: whereas I would have preferred the world ends and that's all there is to it. That's all she wrote. Yeah. Credits. And <laughs> and that would have been that would have been very powerful. I think, you know, just especially in like this the 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 cold loneliness of space. Just be like, wow, we really fucked up here, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, recycle, take two minute showers and everything's going to be OK. But two um, hours.
1: we we don't do that. Yeah. America.
0: One one thing I'm I did, not wearing a mask.
1: One thing I did want to note is another reading of the film, just because I went on the deep dive. Um, I do think that Nolan is comparing this film to what actual dreams are. So, yeah, I mean, obviously they are entering dreams, but I think he's comparing dreams to film to cinema because we, as an audience, you know, we're experiencing like what Ariadne does when she learns about inception, we go around, we start messing around with things and we, we, we learn the rules. It's kind of like Nolan reprimanding the audience for being so immersed in a film that we don't distinguish reality. Can we talk about that
0: for a second? When she's in, when she's getting her crash course, in dreams. Why is she like 50 steps in front of him and walking so fast? Is she just like a kid in a candy store and like
1: freaking out? I think so. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's her just kind of figuring it all out for herself in, in the film. And and by the way, I say
0: her because at this time, the character that she's playing is a woman. Yes. (laughs) I recognize the,
1: the, they, them. And, uh, It is Elliot Page. Good point. But this particular character is a female. Good point. So, yeah. So when Ariadne is is walking around and and kind of exploring, I think that that Cobb is just letting letting them explore and figure everything out. But also it uh, serves as a plot device because we we get to learn or a narrative device because we get to learn about never draw from your your memory, only bits and pieces, a lamppost, a, a phone booth, that kind of stuff. Um, and then we get to see what happens with the subconscious, like basically attacking her. We get to be introduced to Maul and Ariadne's first interaction with Maul. Um, but yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I don't maybe he was just trying to see what she could do free free range and see mm-hmm. how she could work, you know, freelance, I guess. She's just like, I got this. She's just going to town. She was like a natural, and, too.
0: And how do you suppose they shot the, the scene where she has those giant mirrors and the camera
1: is not? That was pretty cool. That I have no idea. That was pretty cool, though. I was like, what's she doing? Oh, there's a the handle.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it shows know. like infinity basically with two mirrors facing each other. It's
1: kind of I cool. really like when movies do that, when, they, when mm-hmm. they do the infinity thing other than rise of Skywalker, because that movie is trash. But I really enjoy that type of scene. So I don't know. I built a six foot showerhead scene. And yeah. The center. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I mean uh, about the cinema, right? So it's, it's the closest thing we're ever going to get to sharing a dream. And it's, it's so interesting because you think about it and he's explaining to Ariadne uh, Cobb is, he says, you never remember how you get to a certain place in a dream and She's like, yeah, you know, they're in a cafe. He's like, how did we get here? And she can't remember. That happens all the time in dreams. When we wake up from a dream, we could be, oh, when we're asleep, we're dreaming. It's super vivid. You're immersed in that world. But when you wake up, all you know are bits and pieces of that dream. You don't know how you got to this haunted house that Freddy Krueger's chasing you through. You don't know how you got into high school with, like, you ask out your crush, but then she throws a cupcake at your face. Like, all this stuff that you have, these aren't my dreams specifically, but all <laughs> these dreams you have. Uh. It's it, it's it's hard to really comprehend how how you get to that point, and I think this movie on the nose is about dreaming. Not not in the sense of like this crew going into the dreams, but it's it's a metaphor for dreaming. It's saying like dreams. The only way you can ever share an actual dream, Justin and I can actually share a dream, is by watching cinema, being fully immersed into a movie and forgetting about everything other than what's going on in that movie. And I think that that's so cool. And it's such an interesting read from Nolan.
0: Yeah, I I was, I mean, not that I'm, I am far from an expert on dreams and how they work and everything, but I was just pictured like, you know, our brains are computers and they're just unloading or updating or uploading information to the cloud as we go to sleep. And some of that stuff just kind of spills out. You know, like uh, when we see, uh, you know, like uh, we go to bed, we watch TV before we go to bed. And then all of a sudden we're dreaming about whatever we watched on the news or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just our brain spitting out random information and then us picking it up, which I always thought was interesting because some folks that I've spoken to, you know, they dream about people like pretty regularly. And I, I don't ever re- really remember any other humans in my dreams. Like I feel like I'm by myself a lot in dreams. Mm-hmm you know and if I am with other people I'm usually being chased or something bad is happening and I don't not that I remember all my dreams but when I wake up I'm almost like fuck that was crazy but I feel like I'm always alone in my dreams I
1: don't know about you <laughs> weird. no uh, have, have you ever been in a situation where you felt you were dreaming but you almost, you were almost certain that you were actually awake or perhaps the opposite maybe like a lucid dream
0: I don't know so like I've, There's been times like I've been driving like late at night and everything where I don't remember how I got (laughs) from point A to point B and how many traffic lights I ran or how many people I cut off or I just I was in a mental state to where I just my brain got me from one destination to the other. But when I get there. I'm like, fuck, I don't even remember this journey at all. That was weird. Like, How did that happen? And it it could be short or it could be long. It could be like a five minute drive to like Target or it could be you know, uh, like a six hour drive to like my grandma's or something. And somewhere along that journey, I just unplugged and and my body just knew how to get me there. (laughs) Regardless of the (laughs) carnage that is behind me because of whatever damage I may have caused. But I always thought that was weird. Like, fuck,
1: I don't remember even getting here, which is kind of weird. Sometimes when you're, yeah, when you're on autopilot, when people say, hey, I'm, I've been on autopilot or even with work or something like that, you just completely tune out or like with you when you play Dark Souls. I mean, I don't know if if there's certain times when you you just know everything automatically of how mm-hmm. to complete a level that you're just like, wait, when did I start? How did I get to this point? I, I kind of feel like it's similar to that.
0: Yeah, it might be. Uh, well, usually when I'm playing the video game, though, like it's hard for me to tune out the the world around me. But when I'm driving, that's not the case. I think because of the silence that can exist Mm. or the music that kicks on, where all of a sudden a song comes on and I start thinking about an eighth grade dance or something like that. And then now I'm teleported into that dance and standing there with my hands in my pockets and being like, Hey, where's it going? And I, I don't remember how I got there, but I'm there. And meanwhile, I'm still driving, which is so weird to think about. But you know, we talk about like how we we only use X amount of our like ten percent of our brain power, right? And then it's those weird moments like that where you think maybe you're now at like eleven or twelve percent of your brain power. And I liked how Cobb mentioned that like we use it all, we use that brain power when we're sleeping. You know, that makes sense because we're we're bending the fabric of reality
1: in our dreams, which is which is pretty interesting. Which is very interesting. I I love it. Um, but I mean, that kind of explains too, that goes back to what I was saying about how this movie is basically a nod to dreams in the entire thing. When Cobb is in quote unquote reality, when he's in, um, it's not Mumbai, but wherever he is, I think it's Mumbai and he's running from those people trying to kidnap him. I mean, all that shit is very much. Uh, straight out of a movie he's escaping there's a maze that he's running through basically through this city and very cartoonish deus ex machina Saito shows up at the last minute to save him and get in the car i mean that shit literally only happens in movies and it yeah. only happens in dreams that's why i think there's such a, a synchronicity as a synonym basically cinema and, and movie and dreams but um yeah like for me i've had times when i've had dreams that I've woken up in the middle of the night, like in a sweat because I thought it was real. Like I'd go check my phone or I'd go check something be like, did that just actually happen? And, and it would take a while for me to come down from that. Like a good 15 minutes of me being awake in the middle of the night being like, Oh my God, is everything okay? So I've, I've had those really intense moments. And we talked about this on the, um, the Freddy Krueger, the nightmare on Elm street dream warriors segment. We talked about any types of weird dreams. Um, and so I, I, I think I'm with you on the on the lucid dreams in the sense of like just being an autopilot, especially commuting for work all the time. It was very dangerous because I'm like, I think I just ran past a cop going like 80, but I didn't get pulled over. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Yeah. i know it's weird yeah michael complained about hitting speed bumps on the freeway i wonder who who he ran over that day
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah totally but like i mean there's those moments too where right when you're falling asleep that maybe you think you're falling and then you kind of jolt really fast that's happened to me multiple times um and then even even one time i got shot in a dream like uh, i was was on a motorcycle which is weird because i don't ride motorcycles but i got (laughs) shot on a motorcycle and i don't even know how to ride one to be honest with you and but uh, in my dream i do and i'm beautiful and i'm Bad. How are you? <laughs> there For you all, go. For all you fans. 3, 3, um, <laughs> and so I got shot and I, I fall off my little bike there and then I go to get up and I feel that I'm shot and I unzip my jacket and then all this warmth, like like blood hitting my body like woke me up like it was so warm and i woke up so fucking scared like i got shot and like i thought and then i was like i checked to make sure i didn't like wet the bed or anything like that like what the hell was that liquid (laughs) that was so warm because i thought for sure that invaded my dream space right but it didn't you know it was just a thing but that's what woke me up but shit man i woke up so scared i was like holy fuck man i just got shot (laughs) and uh, i remember telling my buddy josh after that happened i was like dude i thought i thought i was shot And then when I realized I wasn't shot, I thought I might have wept myself, but I didn't. It was just a dream. But I remember that feeling so fucking real. It was crazy.
1: That's really, that's really interesting. I've definitely had dreams like that for sure. So cool. Well, skipping skipping skipping. Were there any scenes that we talked you talked about how this movie is just beautiful to look at, but were there any scenes in particular that were jaw dropping or incredibly spectacular for you? And then like what went through your mind when you first saw those scenes?
0: Yeah, so my my favorite like actual sequence is the, the rotating hallway. Yes. I'm glad you said that (laughs) Uh, that uh, when Arthur is just beating the shit out of all these goons and running on the ceiling and running on the walls, uh, so many things are happening Um, as, as the van is crashing, right? That's what's happening. The van is going down the, the embankment and the, the whole hotel is just on wheels. So nuts. I, I thought that was just a brilliant piece of filmmaking. I don't know how it was done. I don't care how it was done. I just want to watch it and be in awe. I, that is one of the coolest moments in like modern cinema for me when they did that. I was like, I remember just being just totally like mindfucked as I was watching. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, dude. How are they doing this? This is incredible. Because, I mean, for me, it's always as simple as turn the camera sideways and Batman and Robin are walking up the wall. Right. And how (laughs) ridiculous that is. And it looks stupid in 1960. It looks stupid in 2022. But in 2010, when, when these guys are fighting in this, in this rotating hallway, I was blown away. I was completely floored. I thought that was the coolest fucking thing.
1: Yeah, it really was awesome. And I watched a video breakdown of it where they had a bunch of different cameras and rigs set up and it was really neat what they did with the wire work and and JGL training for it. But definitely probably the the best scene for me in terms of jaw dropping. I was just blown away by it. I thought it was so cool. Plus, it was a long take, too. It wasn't a lot of a lot of cuts. And so you got to focus on it. So it was done practically. And in fact, because the centrifuge that they built the the hallway, some deal with the rig that they set up, like they couldn't use any type of other lighting than practical lighting. So all of the lights in the hotel room actually lit the scene for them. So they had to be strategically placed, which also adds an element of danger when you're doing the the, the circling room. But really, really cool. I'm a sucker for a good choreographed fight, and I loved it. I was like, What is
0: going on? Where's yeah. all the
1: gravity? But it was cool. Yeah. I was digging it. I mean,
0: there was a lot that was happening that was really neat. Um, I mean, the slow motion shots, unfortunately, like Zack Snyder took my love away of slow motion. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm just not interested in slow motion anymore.
1: Hallelujah!
0: And like, like when the fruits exploding around in the in the city and just everything's going up. But the the kick sequences are always pretty neat. Um, but but that that real time sort of hallway spinning was just. Uh, that's second to none, man. That was pretty fucking cool.
1: Yeah. The train was really awesome, too. Loved the whole train scene. I mean, directly out of heat, basically. That that first sequence with the rain when they're trying to avoid the guys shooting. I mean, it felt like it straight out of heat. Um, but really, really cool stuff in that. Any of the other visuals were, were awesome to see as well. Paradox stairs and whatnot. The M C Escher stairs. That
0: reminds me, too. Um, the, the, whole, the carpet in the hotel with the crazy lines. Mm-hmm. It's very reminiscent of the fucking bookcase in in, (laughs) Interstellar. In Interstellar, it it is like which is just row of lines. Yeah, and and I'm just like, and it reminded me. I think part of that is what made me think of the ropes. Like I just kept seeing all these, this, 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 these lines on my on my screen, (laughs) and I'm just like, I don't fucking get it. But I mean, loves rope. I I know. (laughs) Yes, but the the carpet was just like hypnotic with those lines, and it it was it was interesting to say the least. I know, right? I was just like, "Whoa, that's some fun carpet. That's like uh, that's like Oregon Ho- Airport, no, Portland oh, Airport." Yeah. Oh geez, carpet.
1: that's like the Overlook Hotel up there.
0: Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, You and I, we discussed uh, several times how we're fans of show not tell when it comes to comprehending a film. And Inception, it's filled with a ton of exposition. They explain what you need to do with Inception. But that that exposition can benefit uh, this this convoluted movie. Were you okay with the amount of exposition? I know you touched earlier on it um, in one of the first questions.
0: Right. So uh, I think at the end of the day, this is a heist movie. And <laughs>
1: the I, town is not a heist movie. Yeah,
0: I, I think this is very much a heist movie in that. Uh, yeah, I know that they're they're planting something versus stealing something, but it's it's getting the money back in the vault. Right. It's totally and,
1: a heist film. They yeah. have the planning sequence. They have a team assembled of who's, right. who's It's it's definitely a heist movie.
0: So I'm a sucker for the explanation of the heist. How is the plan going to go down? And so I'm totally OK with it. The the only part that is tricky is the explanation between Cobb and, uh, what's her name? Ariadne. Ariadne. Ariadne? Is that
1: yeah. It? Yeah. Ariadne. Well, however you know. want to say it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and she's the one that, like, leads somebody through, like, a maze and, like, um,
1: leads somebody through a maze?
0: In, like, mythology, right? Like, oh, yes. Like, Perseus or some shit. I don't yeah. know. It doesn't matter. Um, either way. So the his explanation to her of dreams i it's like it's kind of like the matrix right where neo is getting the explanation as to what the matrix is and what year it is from morpheus so there is kind of that let's just take a minute you you saw this crazy action sequence at the beginning and shit hit the fan and you got a lot of questions so this is one of those moments that can kind of start to piece together some of the mystery that is this movie and this movie is so complex that I, I'm okay with with the exposition because at the at the end of the day we still have a ton of fucking questions. So they don't tell us everything, which is fine. But uh, it's not it's not like I was saying earlier where you have to tell us everything or nothing, one of the two. This this isn't that case because th- that's more of the the bind into like how we jack into these dreams and how we actually make this arch you know, the architect actually makes this maze and then puts it in their head. Like that's the stuff that it's just like, okay, whatever. This is a thing apparently in, in the not future because this looks just like today, but not really. So it is, it is confusing. And, and I realize that some of my rules can seem absurd at times, but uh, in this case, because it is a heist movie and I like to know what the plan is, I'm okay with the exposition.
1: Right. And how I mean, even as simple as when Arthur is explaining to Saito about inception in Saito says, is it possible? And, you know, he's like, of course not. And he says, OK, this is me planning an idea in your mind. I say, don't think about elephants. What are you thinking about? He says elephants. He says, yeah, it's not your idea. The dreamer can always remember the genesis of the idea. True inspiration is impossible to fake. And that's when Cobb is like, no, it's not because Cobb has actually done it. Little did Arthur know that he actually did it to his own wife. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's that explains the title just right there. And for Tenet, they don't they're not like Tenet. It means you can go back in time. They don't do anything like that. It's like, let's just watch this play out and you figure it out on your own. You're like, the fuck? So yeah, but at least with Inception, you get the idea You're like, oh, okay. So they're going to be implanting an idea in your brain. And I really liked that quick analogy that they used.
0: Right. And that's that's for the most part, that's all you need.
1: Exactly. But
0: I, I do think that the Watching her learn about the dreams, it was fun and it was visually compelling. But what did we really gain from it other than uh, the people in the dream are the subconscious protecting itself from like what we could call a virus. So that was fun to see that there there are going to be aggressors in these dream sequences. And for all we know, it is OK to kill them.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: We're killing projections and not actually a part of their mind, which was a conversation that happened in the movie. I'm like, yeah. is it okay to kill these people? <laughs> like, yeah, they're just projections. So
1: it makes like, you dumber.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll take your word on it this time, but there's going to be a test afterwards to make sure.
1: You're killing brain sales. That's what it is.
0: <laughs> I mean, it could be. How do they know?
1: Yeah, it's exactly. So it feels like they're just making up rules. There's no, nobody knows the actual rules to this entire thing. So, that's what's another unanswered question. But I really did enjoy. Well, and even one thing we did learn from it. So like Yusef, I don't know if you caught this on first viewing or second or third or whatever. But Yusef, right before they are about to go into, for the sake of this, say level one, into the rain world. When they're on the plane, he drinks his champagne. And then when they go to the rain world, it's raining. And then Eames is even like, well, too much free champagne. So he's like, sorry, guys, I, I should have went before we you know, went in. So right. that, that goes, that into goes back to what we were
0: saying, too, though. Exactly. right? Exactly. Like when you watch TV before you go to bed, perhaps yeah. whatever you see might invade your,
1: your exactly. Or if you're aroused before you go to bed, you might have a sexy dream or something like that. So. I wish. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, and I, one thing that was really great that I absolutely loved in this film amongst many things is the idea of the totems. There's something that only you can keep your grasp, that helps you keep your grasp on whose dream you're actually in. Totems don't tell you whether you're in... Wait, what am I to say? Totems do not tell you whether you are in a dream or not. They only tell you if you are in someone else's dream. So, Justin, what would your totem be? My totem would be... I mean, if I'm allowed to tell you, I don't know if it's you can a tell faux me, but I, I, can't, I can't hold it. I can't hold okay. it because it has to have an irregularity, right? Uh, my dream would be pocket sand. <laughs> yeah, or my totem would be sand. pocket sand. Yeah, because yeah. you would yeah. probably know the weight of it, the exact weight of it, and yep. you would you would figure something out with it. And if I tried I have, to grab, it. I have
0: my pouch, and and not
1: only that, but it even has
0: it would be a specific type of sand.
1: Ooh, see, but some of it I could replicate because if I ever saw that sand, I could replicate it and make you think. But I couldn't replicate the weight. And the way it feels in your mm-hmm. hand. And only you know that. You would uh, never see. Even if I threw my pocket sand in your eyes. You would never see it. <laughs> well and and it's you know Eames has his his counterfeit token. Or his totem is the, uh, the the poker chip that he made. He always plays with it. You see him playing with it all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that was something interesting too. Because when they're doing the explanation of the heist. He's playing with it. Almost like he's wondering. Is this real life sort of thing. Daniel after dentist. Is this real life. But so he's playing with his totem. Um, I don't know what mine would be necessarily. I thought about this and I have a lot of different things, but probably like an old Mariners, like, I don't know, pin or something like that, or a, a baseball. I feel like a baseball is a little too big. Have so you my baseball, <laughs> I had a present for him. <laughs> <laughs> so baseball, <What> baseball, <laughs> baseball. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's interesting. So um, Chris Nolan, Christopher Nolan, sir, Christopher Nolan. I don't think he's a sir. Obviously, he has an he incredible. Might he might be. He, he has Everyone's an incredible, u- unique filmmaking style. <laughs> you make a music video. You're going to be a sir over there. E- exactly. Nolan, he, he definitely loves making high class, stylish and clever action dramatic yes, films. He does. Could Nolan ever do a different genre? And if he could, what type of movie genres would you like to see from him? What would it look like?
0: Oh, man, I can tell you right now, I would love to see his take on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein.
1: Ooh, that is a really good choice.
0: I think that he could, you know, humanize the monster. I think he could villainize the doctor. And I think that the village would be intriguing and the mob rule and mentality would be terrifying. And I think that he could really bring something to the table to not only that the sort of castle aspect, but also just, you know, like the North pole or whatever, you know, like when they're out in the ice and it being just a cold, scary place and uh, people being lost. I think, I think it'd be intense. I think it'd be fucking cool. That's what I would want to see. So a horror movie, but I would like it. I would prefer it to be Frankenstein.
1: I could see him doing that. That would be incredible. Like just thinking, yeah, I mean the reflections of what we're seeing in the U S right now, that's the mob mentality. So, That's pretty terrifying. And and some of the best horror films are like what Jordan Peele does, where it reflects what we've seen in our society. And so I think Nolan is definitely has his finger on that pulse and uh, he could make it without huge, crazy, um, you know, dramatic action scenes very much like the prestige. It didn't have any real scene that was like a spinning hallway or or a truck flipping over like in the dark night. He just made a good thought provoking movie. I Forgot about the prestige, yeah.
0: That's another one where it's like, yes, but there's a twist. We got twins, <laughs> yeah. I tell you at the beginning, he's got a double, <laughs> yeah. He's got <called> a double, <laughs> I told you that a hundred times. <laughs> there's no yeah. way you can do it without a double, and uh, you know, just sort of that vibe where you know, this not quite steampunk, but you know, this, 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 yeah city of industry kind of thing that was yeah. happening um, I think that Frankenstein would be awesome, like his lab with the lightning and the and the operating table and the digging of the graves and, and the body parts and all that stuff, I think that Nolan could knock that shit out of the park and guess what, I don't need a fucking twist it's just a fucking A to B to C to credits, Absolutely Easy
1: peasy and Channing Tatum could play Frankenstein's monster <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Tom know. Hardy
0: would probably do it
1: actually him. seriously, he probably would and then he'd probably get Kenneth Branagh, who actually uh, w- was Victor Frankenstein in the in the Mary Shelley version, I believe. Yeah, would great. Him to reprise his role as a doctor. And he could be really freaking evil because he was a pretty good bad guy in Tenet, and um, he's just an awesome actor in general. I so. fucking
0: love Kenneth Branagh. So do like, I. My favorite role is Gilderoy Lockhart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Signed, copy my book. <laughs> yeah. so I like when good. all the pixies go out and he's like, all right. And he just goes back into his office. and <laughs> He's <laughs> like, he's, you guys
0: got this under yeah. control. Uh, I'm like, Can everybody see me? Yeah. Can everybody hear me? It's like my favorite <laughs> part ever. He's but great. That's, that's my answer, Zach. I love and it. I'm sticking
1: to it. Look at you, little thought-provoking beast. That's awesome. So we discussed how complex this movie can be, and I know that I left theater with so many questions, so many.
0: It's a hard movie. Man.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's already pulled over. You can't pull over any further. I love her, man. <laughs> oh gosh, that's a good movie too. We should do that at some point. We quote it all the time. Oh no. Oh yeah, I was just I was just taking a piss too. <laughs> Fortunately. <It's so> good. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, many of those questions that uh, I had leaving the theater, they have been answered with every rewatch. However, I do feel that there are still some plot holes. Well, in the plot that I need to, I need them to be filled. Do you have any unanswered questions from Inception, or are you just so goddamn smart that you got it all covered,
0: dude? I, this movie ran circles around me. I don't <laughs> fucking get it. I don't. I don't get the ropes. I don't. I don't get the levels. And uh, I don't get the... Uh, just jacking everybody into the magical briefcase. Like I, don't, I don't fucking get it, man.
1: It's a magic school bus. <laughs> so
0: this movie, I, I, I can accept that this is a world where extractors exist. But... Is that what they're called? Extractors?
1: Yeah, I think they're called extractors. Okay. And so inception I, I, is, is putting an idea in someone's head. But they do right, extractions. Which, which is something that...
0: on uh, As the world that they know is impossible yeah there's something that can't be done um but i don't uh i i think this movie is brilliant i think it's on a whole nother level possibly three and (laughs) it's it's it turned me upside down man like i i am i am impressed with how complicated this movie is
1: yeah so and for I mean, me,
0: like you said, though, I mean, on some level, you you get it when you watch it, right? You, it's over, but you have questions. And that's Absolutely. again, it's always great to have questions. This is this, this awesome. But at the at at some point, I'm just like, fuck, man,
1: whatever. <laughs> you just kind of accept it. I, I agree.
0: My popcorn, get my soda. And let me just watch this movie. Let me one of those Tom trains Hardy again. <laughs> I, want to see, I want to see another train come into this movie. Yeah. you <laughs> on a train track. It's just driving through the traffic there.
1: Yeah, that's poor city planning on their part. (laughs) Uh, I know. Um, For me, some of the questions that I needed, I I didn't understand how they could infiltrate Robert Fisher's dreams successfully without him being suspicious because the guy obviously knows that extractors are real. I mean, he hired a security team, right? That's what they ran into in the first level. Um, He knows that that's real, and I'm sure as hell that he knows who Saito is. If, If they're his... The second competitor for the biggest energy conglomerate in the world, I'm pretty sure he knows who that is. That'd be like me not knowing who Elon Musk is. It's you like we at the second bank of Gotham on the yeah. on the second anniversary of <laughs> Two- Nick <laughs> Nick Minaj's cousin, cousin's neighbor. <laughs> It's uh, that doesn't make any sense. And so I don't see why that wouldn't raise a red flag to him when he sees Saito and all these people on the plane. And then he also sees them in his dreams. Now, one one explanation I think of maybe as like the dream is I've been with a group of people. Let's say I'm with a group of people on a trip or something. And then we I go to sleep and I'm dreaming of us all doing something together. Mm -hmm. It's 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 more just because I saw them. And again, you don't remember every bits like bits and pieces of your your dream. Sorry, you don't remember the totality of your dream. You remember bits and pieces of your dream. And so maybe he slightly remembers a face, but maybe he doesn't remember three of those people that were there. He's just like, this guy looks kind of familiar, Cobb. I think I dreamt about him, but I can't remember vividly every single thing. But for him to miss Saito sitting next to him on the plane is pretty ridiculous, in my opinion. And I, I don't really understand that part.
0: Well... I mean, it's not for me to make up excuses, but we talked about a couple times now where like you just said, where you see somebody and then all of a sudden you dream about them in some way. Right. Um, or maybe just because he's not in the right headspace. His dad just died and he's not thinking clearly. True. Um, true. Good point. He maybe, uh, you know, it, it's, he rides on a plane like every two weeks or something like that. They said that he's always making this long journey. So at a certain point he might just be mentally checked out. Yeah, it wasn't an autopilot. Yeah, there you go. He wasn't um he wasn't really interested in having that conversation with Cobb, you know? Like he's his back was to him and he was just like, "Fuck, who's this guy that like, he's bothering me?" And then <laughs> um yeah. You know, and then and then in the dream, he was confronted that it, this guy was security and that he is an extractor and that this is a world that exists and it's happening right now and I'm here to protect you. And it's kind of like a like a Quaid and Hauser kind of thing where it's like going to recall and having this crazy experience that at some point it's just, he's along for the ride. So I don't, I don't really know. And they said, you know, in your dreams that you just magically teleport places and you just kind of accept it. (laughs) That, Uh, And then when you wake up, it's really hard for you to remember what you just dreamed about. Exactly, It is is possible when he saw Cobb or saw these other people on the plane, there is this beat that exists where, where Fisher looks at them and then kind of tilts his head. Mm -hmm. And he's like, has this moment like, man, I feel like I know that person or I've seen them before, Mm -hmm. but then just like that, it's gone already because it's very hard for us to remember uh, dream sequences. So, if we were just to play nicely because this movie did a crazy job of, of confusing us, then I would say that would be the answer was that's
1: how I know you. You were in the parking lot earlier. (laughs)
0: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That would be, that would be my cheap answer.
1: No, I, I, that makes a lot of sense. I, I agree. And that's what I was hinting at too. Um, Another thing, too, is like, how long can you actually live in limbo? Because they live for 50 years. But when, when we see him with Saito and they grew old together. But when we saw him Saito, Saito was like, I'm going to die probably pretty soon. We don't know how long Saito was down there in, in dog years. But like, how long can you actually live in limbo? So I think that's something that's unanswered. Again, probably just something we need to accept. And then also, like, how long was Cobb on the run? Because he said that he was he, he fleed the country because they thought he killed Maul. And the last image he had was his kids playing outside, but when he comes back from x amount of time gone, which we're led to believe is probably quite a while quite a, a time, they are like the same age, and so that's a little interesting and i I was kind of left with that as like a hmm I didn't even think about that
0: right but i I think that you back to the fucking interstellar and time being a relative, <laughs> you know if he loves his kids it, you know something as simple as it could be 2 weeks it could be 2 months uh he just wants to get back home he li- he left his life and his kids are are without him and so you know whether it's a year or it's a couple months if if you know when you love your children uh, there's a point where even when you go away on on a weekend trip the best part of that trip is coming home and seeing them yeah so for sure. i mean it is possible that not that much time has passed, and plus he spends a lot of his time uh in this dream world where everything is slowed down true I mean, he spends a bulk of his of his nine to five is is can be a couple of days yeah. or whatever so he might just be mentally exhausted at the end of the day
1: that could make sense, totally, but I don't know yeah. Well, Justin, are you ready for the big question that uh, pretty much everybody, when they saw this movie, and like you said at the end, you're like, huh, I want that to top over. Um, Are you ready for the big question? Sure. Okay. So the top spins at the end, and it is purposely left to be ambiguous. In fact, Christopher Nolan still hasn't explained his ending to date. He wants to leave it that way. What did you think? Is this all a dream? Many theories out there break down all the signs on why this is one way or the other. Michael Caine and Ariani were in on it the whole time. Apparently, uh, you never see the children's faces, and they are always the same age, et cetera. Et cetera. So, Justin, what happened to the top? Uh,
0: so, I, I think it slows down and stops ultimately, and and I can t- I have two reasons for that. One, when you put the captions on, it says uh, "top rattles," and bef- <laughs> all time. the other times, <laughs> all the other times, it's not um, it's not making any noise; it's just spinning. Mm. And so, the rattling sound would suggest that it's coming to a stop. Okay. And then prior that w- that would be like my, my end all be all answer is that I want it to stop. So it stopped. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I know that a couple years ago, Michael Kane kind of answered that question because uh, he was talking to fans and they asked him and he's like, well, when I got the script, I was like, the fuck is this? How do I know what's real? What's a dream and what's real? It's a and double. Christopher, and Chris, exactly. Christopher Nolan told him that if, if when you're in the scene, it's reality, when mm-hmm. you're not in the scene, it could be a dream sequence. And Michael Caine picks him up from the airport, takes him home. And he's there in the room with his kids. Yeah. So that to me would answer the question. So my own, selfish reasons the top stops and he (laughs) sees his kids again but a greater explanation assuming that Michael Caine is is remembering this information correctly then it's real and he gets to see his kids
1: and you know Cobb remembers how he got home uh it shows him leaving the airport getting picked up all that kind of stuff we know that you don't necessarily know where you how you got to certain places in a dream but in this situation he knows how he got home
0: right right and then and then i know that um when everyone was arguing about this stuff you know the his wedding ring was a was a key factor mm-hmm. uh, in the dream sequences he's wearing a, red, a wedding ring but then when he's not under he's not wearing his wedding ring so like when he's on the plane when he's in michael Caine's, what's michael Caine's character's name
1: uh mills i think like professor mills or whatever okay he's, so he's, so when he's in father. his
0: office he's not wearing his ring when he gets home he's not wearing his ring so that's just a little bit more evidence to support that it is reality.
1: I agree with that. Now, to be contrarian, just just for the sake of this, sure, uh, sure. some of the arguments saying that he was in a dream were, you know, one thing about the totem that's interesting is Cobb doesn't actually know anything about this totem. This isn't his totem. It's Maul's totem. It, it originally belonged to her, and it doesn't have an irregularity. It's just a top that spins for, for what we know. There's no real weight to it. So like I was saying, you know, you said your pocket sand it would have an irregularity because it has a weight. The loaded die that, that Arthur has, the chess piece that, that Ariadne has, they all have irregularities in them that only that user knows. Um, but for a top, it seems like it could be pretty easy to replicate because it spins. And if it topples over, then he thinks that he's <laughs> awake. spinning That's a neat trick. Yeah. It's...
0: Oh, and you know, for the whole totem thing, in the movie, uh, School of Rock, yeah, the, there's the one girl that's sort of like the, the kiss-ass and uh, she's the factotum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> factotum. And she's like, I'm the class totem. And he's like, factoter, whatever. So <laughs> anytime they said the word totem, I would call it a factoter as I was watching. <laughs> it's so stupid. I, don't, I just had to remind myself that that was a thing. And, I, and I, I'd go, factoter, whatever.
1: <laughs> I dig it. I uh-huh. like it. Um, another, another, uh, argument that this is a dream is, um, people question maybe like who concocted this reality for Cobb. Uh, if there is a, if this is a dream, like who maybe did this, is it somebody who actually kidnapped him? Like he was, he was kidnapped from Saito. Saito actually never sent him, <laughs> sent him on this job. Um, his kids don't age either. That was one thing, too, is they look the exact same. And I think that was one of the more glaringly obvious ones, because even if he has this warrant, he's running from from the the police and whatnot. These kids look like they haven't aged a day and he's been gone for however long. But you and I just kind of discussed that. So I thought that was really interesting. There are tons of other arguments out there for why this is a dream and why this is a reality. Um, but I didn't want to get into that too, too deep.
0: Right, so I think the only reason why it feels so long is because he's under—he's sleeping all the time. Mm-hmm. He's a lazy employee. He's a <laughs> lollygagging son of a bitch, always sleeping on the job. No, I, I get
1: what you i get what you mean. I—that—that yeah. that, makes—that makes a lot of sense, and that's definitely a good reading into it. Um, one other one I like to throw a wrench into this is there are some, uh, viewers out there who basically, and I'm more in this mindset is that it doesn't matter if this is a dream or not. It doesn't matter if this is reality or if this is a dream, because even if Cobb is dreaming, this is the reality that he has accepted and he wants. And he said it himself, you know, that he lived for 50 plus years with his wife. Um, and, and his projection of her was just a, a shadow of, of what she was. He accepted that she's gone and he accepted that, um, He needs to get back to, to what his reality is or what, what feels the best. So why can't like this be his reality, even though it's not quote unquote real. And I go back to Cypher from the matrix who talks about the stake. I mean, we have to decide if we want to wake up or we want to live in, in, in that specific reality. And it's not for anyone else to tell us it's, it's for us to make up our own minds. I get what you're saying about, you got to pay the bills, you got to do X, Y, and Z. But if, if he's a blob, if he's, in a basically self-induced coma and, and asleep for all these two days or whatever, which really seems like a hundred years, then that's his reality. I mean, who really knows? And so I always think that that's, that's pretty cool to say, like, it doesn't matter in a certain sense. And maybe that's what Nolan's getting at. Maybe we should try yeah. to interview him for this show. <laughs> maybe. I mean, he would never say. I mean, he told Michael Caine, probably in confidence
0: and Michael Caine's like, fuck, I don't give a shit. I'm just going to tell the world. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think the cat's out of the bag on that one. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I think that that's that's a that's a clever way of looking at it, um, but I mean, it's also sad.
1: It really is, and I mean,
0: they're at the end of the day, those kids exist, and that they, they need their father. And exactly, they, they're going to grow up without him, and that would be sad.
1: They already he, lost their mom. He also made the choice to leave them, even though he'd left them with Michael Caine to leave them. With the but, idea of I'm going to come back, sort of right, thing, exactly, and, and that and that makes sense, and that's heartbreaking in a certain level because you're like, I mean, for, for to say what you said earlier at the start of the show when you were like, this movie didn't invoke as much emotion from me; it kind of existed. I was thinking of of somebody who. I'm not an expert in mental health, but you know, some people who are just think like mall that think that certain things are a reality and their actual reality, like physical, I can touch you stuff is actually just fake. And then she commits suicide because of it. It's heartbreaking. It's, it's terrible to think about. And I would never want a loved one to actually be in that sort of sense, but I don't know what their mind is like. And, um, I, I, think, Nolan was pointing at that, but also kind of trying to expand our thought process on it. So I thought that that was a really deep part.
0: So, I I mean, I would love to agree with you, but every time we were presented with mall, she was a problem, right? she was always the problem. There was never a reason to like mall from the start of this movie to when she jumped off the building. And so just for me to connect with that character on an emotional level, that it nothing was there for me to grab onto yeah i was just
1: like oh, okay fine whatever but that, but that was just the projection that that leo had for mall not the actual mall because even arthur says she was very lovely like she was she was a great oh, person
0: i'm sure she was i'm just i was only ever presented with a projection of her, right and so
1: i don't care yeah no that makes sense <laughs> yeah. and, and i and she i was do-
0: always running
1: interference and it drove me insane i'm like <laughs> I do it's wish good. I do wish we got to see her in a in a better light. You're right. That that is something that probably could have changed, changed our yes. opinions on her. For so her sure. character
0: was done dirty. Done dirty. Mm-hmm. Stabbing people left and right. She's so. just some crazy lady that that abandoned her kids and jumped off a building. That's mm, sad. That is sad.
1: We didn't get to see her in the heyday when and she when she loved sad. everybody. That's <laughs> sad. <laughs> Um, okay, cool. Well yeah, that was a lot of fun. Really good discussion. Uh this was this was my my birthday film. Uh it's like I gotta, my birthday Happy week. Happy birthday. Yeah, it's like when Frosty puts a, a hat on, he goes, Happy birthday. Um Final thoughts. Thinking of Gus Gus from Sonora. Oh, shit. Never mind. <laughs> no, Final thoughts and letter grade. You already kind of said it earlier, but if you just want to touch base on it again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this movie will make your head spin, uh, literally, with the
0: hallway scene and the van crashing and all these things. And um, it's great. I think it's a visually compelling movie. I think that there's a lot to, to take away and digest. Uh, it's going to be discussed forever and all eternity. I think this will probably go down as one of his best movies ever, and I'm okay with that. Um, whether it's for you, it's The Dark Knight or Interstellar or or Inception, uh, or even like whatever, fucking Dunkirk or the possible Oppenheimer. I think to to date, if if you were to say that Inception was your favorite Nolan film, it's a very good answer. Hell yeah, and and I'm okay with that. Hell uh, yeah, this movie's got a got a lot to offer. It's got a lot to discuss. It breaks some rules. It it makes some up new rules, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's quite a journey. It is a two and a half hour journey, but uh, you know what I want to talk about was the music. Oh, I so, love the music. So there is a there's a lot of scenes where there's just no talking, and you're watching things play out, and the the music is telling the story, which I think is really cool, and and it it kind of gives you these audio cues of when to be concerned and when to be stressed and when to feel just sort of okay, like you can take a breather. There's a lot of that in this movie. I think that the score, this is one of those movies where the score really tells the story and sets the stage for what's about to happen. And it's, I think it's brilliant. I think it was really, really good and and i absolutely love it and i can't believe that we kind of forgot to talk about that but well um, I, yeah
1: i didn't i didn't forget to talk about it it was more we could have spent another hour talking about Hans zimmer's score and and just how influential they are to to the nolan films i mean it, it, you're absolutely right it it really does that i mean edith piaf's uh, main song in it um, i don't know what it's called but the french song yeah the one that they use to wake up mm-hmm. uh, la vie and rose i think is what it is um, no, that's not it. But, anyways, the song that they use to wake everybody up, Hans Zimmer uses that in the actual score for like the theme. He just slows it down. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think that that's so re- that's so remarkable. It's called a uh, Non Jena Regret Rien, I think. Non Jena Regret Rien. Okay, I don't I have know. No how to speak Italian. Yeah, something. Oh, is that French? That's French. So. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Je m'appelle Justin. Je m'appelle Justin. Uh but yes, the, the music is is a whole character and it's it's so cool. And the soundtrack to this, just putting it on in the background is is incredible. Um Wally Fister, cinematographer, amazing. Whoa. The editing done by That's Lee Smith it. is is on point. The final like 20 minutes is just so good how he's mixing all the non-linear plot together to make it timing with the kicks it's just so goddamn good um, yeah I think it's a masterclass in filmmaking in my opinion but what would you say So you, this is an A this is also an A for me this is an A plus for me actually though oh an A plus all right, um, right. yeah I
0: mean it's a it's a solid A for me um, I'm, I think that there's always room for improvement
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know I know um, Unless but it's no, Jaws mean, it's, or or Beverly Hills Cop Two or <laughs> Beverly
0: Hills Cop Two. Is, oh no, it's no. I do not regret anything. Okay. I said no regret, no regrets. I was close, but it's no, no, no regrets. I, yeah, no, I do not regret anything. Is the actual title. But, yeah, and so but they, they slow it down. No and there's a I lot. There's title.
1: a lot more we could talk about. I did leave music out on purpose just because I feel like we could have had a really deep discussion about that. But could um, have. I it's, still.
0: It's intense.
1: It is, and, and for me,
0: the the music in a way fills in the gaps of the storytelling. I can see that and, totally, and I think that that's intentional. So, um, I'm I'm on board with that.
1: Me too. So, I I really I it. really like it. Yeah, hundred percent, man. So cool. Well, yeah, that's that's all I got. Again, this is streaming on Netflix. Um, I had a really fun time talking with you, Justin. That was great.
0: Yeah, it's great. I was wrong so many times. No, you weren't on this. Spot. Yeah, I got the levels. You got the. You got the rules.
1: <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's wrong with a Nolan film. It's all up to your interpretation.
0: No, no, I know, but I mean, I think that the synopsis was quite clear on how the rules <laughs> and the and the levels worked. But yeah. I, I do think that um, you know, it's 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 a tough pill to swallow, man. It's
1: more right. of a suppository. You're gonna want to sit on this pill <laughs> and not eat it. Exactly, I get it. Well, cool. I'm going to take us home then. Thank you so very much for listening to this extra special episode of the Don't Be Crazy podcast. The
0: birthday episode. (laughs) The birthday birthday episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Please remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zachdale 60 There you can share your thoughts with us and we will discuss them on our show. You can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episodes. Just please make sure that they are streaming. Uh, This time we use Netflix instead of our affiliated HBO Max that they pay (laughs) us money for. Money, Lebowski. Um, Also, please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you like it. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening, and please, don't be crazy. Thank you so much. Boom, boom.